0: In July 2020, tens of thousands of passionate and committed people from around the globe will convene in San Francisco and Oakland at the 23rd International AIDS Conference. This gathering among the world's largest conferences will happen during a critical year when global goals for the fight against HIV-AIDS come due.
1: In 2020, the conference comes back to sacred ground in the Bay Area, a frontline in the fight against HIV after 30 years.
0: In this podcast, we'll be talking to a diversity of inspiring guests. They have been and remain at the very forefront of the ongoing fight against HIV-AIDS, both at home and abroad.
2: Even in December 2020, we would still have more things to do together. But hopefully we have come every year a step further to the goal to end AIDS at 2030.
0: In today's episode, Sarah spoke with Gunilla Carlson, who's the acting executive director of UNAIDS. UNAIDS monitors and delivers AIDS response, public policy work and analysis and global advocacy. Before joining UNAIDS, Gunilla was a member of the Swedish parliament and the Minister for International Development Cooperation and has been a global health leader for over two decades. I'm Andrew Schwartz. I'm Steve Morrison.
1: And I'm Sarah Allender. This is AIDS 2020. Welcome, Gunilla, to the AIDS 2020 podcast. Thank you for joining us here today.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: I would love to hear a little bit about your background and what kind of the culmination of your career that has led you to your current position at UNAIDS.
2: Thank you. Well, I'm a lucky mid-aged woman coming from (laughs) Stockholm, Sweden, and and having spent a lot of my life in politics Mm -hmm. uh, on a European level, but also, of course, domestically in Sweden working uh, on foreign policy and European affairs but also seven years as a development minister where I really get to understand what works and what doesn't when we want to assist global development and health is one of those things that I truly believe in. So uh, after leaving party politics, I spent a few years just trying to figure out how partnerships works. Mm. And I was working as a in many different pro bono activities and voluntarily. And I learned a lot in culture, in in philanthropy, and uh, I also had a time in the board of Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. And then in February two thousand and eighteen. I became the deputy executive director of UNAIDS, the joint program, the UN joint program to to fight HIV AIDS. And uh, here I am uh, right now as ad interim uh, executive director for the organization that really tries in good partnerships to make sure that we can do better to end AIDS as a public health threat.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the recruitment process for the new executive director, what the status of that is, what the timeline is? We're recording our podcast on June 5th here in Washington, and by the time the podcast is out, maybe there'll be more information, but what's the the current status and timeline?
2: We are now in the midst of a very transparent, inclusive process led by the bureau of the AIDS board uh, and they have installed a search committee under the leadership of the uh, Belarusian ambassador in Geneva uh, and have been working with an executive search firm and in a very comprehensive but also very integral manner because, of course, when we have high-caliber candidates, it's very important to make sure that this process is sound from both aspects. Uh, When that committee has been working hard, uh, the board will have good interviews of a shortlist and in the end it is the co-sponsoring organization because UNH is a joint program set up by 11 co-sponsoring organizations. and we, from the UN and the World Bank is also part of that. And they will in the end come up with a shortlist to give to the Secretary General that will decide who is the person that is best suited in this time now to lead the UN agency that are having at it. its primary goal to end AIDS as a public health threat in 2030. So it is a very important position, but equally a very solid process to make sure that we can bring in a lot of aspects that's needed.
1: Was there anything surprising to you when you took your your initial position as Deputy Executive Director?
2: I'm so honored to work within the United Nations with its high ambitions, not at least on, on human rights. I I know that we really need to strengthen global cooperation on all levels and interactions. And United Nations for me is 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 a guardian of that. And there is so much good understanding and also internally a lot of very talented and hardworking people that are driving that for all of us. And to be part of that was, of course, amazing. At the same time, I'm struck of the contrast to, for example, European Union, where I worked before as a member of European Parliament, where there are more different institutions with checks and balances, and that is, of course, a legislative body, so it's hard to compare. But I think the reforms that the Secretary General now are taking in, not at least as a management, uh, and and looking into how good we are delivering to really live up to leaving no one behind, they are Absolutely needed and they have to come to good results because the UN, I think, has been growing without any clear destiny and perhaps have become a little bit not suit for purpose. Mm-hmm.
1: So it is also mm-hmm. very
2: hard internal reform processes that are going on and that's very good.
1: How do you assess where we are uh, currently with the response and, and where we need to go?
2: I think for listeners to this podcast, You would be surprised to know that we are still not there. I think HIV was something that really caught the world's attention for many good reasons and people were dying in AIDS. Since then, so many things have happened that is a great success of good collaboration on each and every level and uh, where we now have more people than ever on treatment and people are surviving and that's such a good story to tell and that's a joint endeavor. At the same time, the surprise will come, I think, if I'm saying that every year yet about 2 million people are coming into the statistics of mm-hmm. being newly infected. Some of them here in the United States. And 50 girls, adolescent girls, young women, every day die of AIDS-related illnesses. 50 a day in the world, globally. And beyond these statistics, there are people that are not having access to perhaps knowledge, to treatment, to to uh, rights, and don't have the opportunity to be part of, of the survivors, and partly also perhaps continuing to spread the virus. So we are not there yet. We have more to do, and we know how to do it.
1: We're 18 months from World AIDS Day 2020, uh, which is the first big milestone in the fast track goals. How do you feel that we're doing against those goals? And what do you think needs to be done differently to try to accelerate toward not only 2020, but to 2030?
2: It's so great to be with CSIS, to to see the multitude of different stakeholders and also to discuss the United States response and new focus on HIV AIDS in this country. It's so good. And it's also so nice to see how many that you can rally behind that. And the twenty twenty goals that has been set up together is is talking about having better understanding about where is the epidemic and how can we solve it. We have fast track cities and we also have opportunities now at in twenty twenty to to measure. In eighteen months and in the end of twenty twenty, we will not yet have the statistics. Uh but we can see an, an even progress because there are cities that are doing very well and they are coming forward. Uh, But there are also cities and nations that are actually going in the wrong direction. Uh, And that's what I meant. We know what to do. We know how to address the risk of becoming infected. We know that treatment helps uh, and we know also how stigma and discrimination and bad laws can encourage the spread of the virus. So that's why I, again, would like to say that even in December 2020, we would still have more things to do together. But hopefully we have come every year a step further to the goal to, to uh, end AIDS at 2030.
1: You talked a little bit earlier around the uh, UNAIDS management um, and, and kind of broader UN system management adjustments that are happening. How do you see UNAIDS role evolving as we kind of look to 2020 and beyond, and are there things that you think UNAIDS needs to be doing differently to keep the focus on the global response and to, again, accelerate this progress toward the milestones? I think
2: we have benefited a lot from being an entity within the UN with more of agility and with one focus. That helps a lot. And I think we should stick to that because it's not yet done. Uh, we have also learned a lot when we measure, when we use data, when we use evidence-based interventions, we can better use the money that are spent but also deliver results. Uh, and the work together with PEPFAR has made us, I think, very, very relevant as a global force to inspire nations, cities and individuals to tell that we have to work on this together. There are many components because it's not only a medical situation. This is something that goes beyond. It's also about the risk of falling into poverty. It is the risk of being discriminated. And it is also for some that starts treatment that they don't feel well enough so that they stop being treated and that they perhaps don't no longer have access to the clinics. So we have really to work on each and every individual and at the same time have a good global response. And I think UNAIDS, with its advocacy, role as well, uh, can do more. And we have also to change as times are changing because it's a new generation now, new generation of decision makers, but also young people, adolescents, they will look at these things in a different way. And that's why we have to target them with good sources of information and knowledge and give them the power to really access uh, rights, knowledge, and also have access to, to health.
1: I'd love to hear your perspective on two sides. One, on what keeps you up at night or what you're most concerned about, but also what gives you the most hope looking forward against HIV.
2: The mortality rates can still not leave me. You know, When Mm -hmm. we speak about these 50 adolescent girls that every day in the world die of AIDS-related illnesses, I think that is something that we should keep in mind because we also know that this is treatable. There is an opportunity to live with the virus and survive and also to thrive. So that keeps me awake. And I think increasingly now we see that women and girls are disproportionately um, attacked by the risk. And I'm saying attacked because it's gender-based violence. It's it's the, the power imbalances between men and women in many societies. We... We have to see the power of the next generation of women and girls. And that leads me to what gives me hope. Because if we manage to do that, I think the solution is within reach. If we give the voice and the rights equally to women and girls, I think we will come faster to the goal of, of uh, ending AIDS.
1: You mentioned that you know HIV is not a, uh, a disease that's about the disease alone. It's about many other things. And I'm wondering your thoughts on UHC, kind of these broader health movements, and whether, from your point of view, there's a need to do things differently with HIV looking forward. There's a lot of pressure to, to move outside of HIV exclusivity and, and do more with primary health care. And I wonder your thoughts on whether you think that would dilute the response or if there's opportunity there to, to expand
2: rather to link it to universal health coverage and talk about healthy lives. Then we can start to talk about the successes and look into primary care, to pediatric care, and to see that this is something you can live with if this is the case, but equally that we can, with good primary care, community work, we can also make sure that less and less and less people are are being infected. And that's why I think universal health coverage is a good thing for us to, to embrace and to work upon because that must be about healthy lives and to work early with prevention and also use evidence to know that many, many people that risk getting HIV are those people that we most of the time don't pay too much attention to. That is people living in prisons, it's sex workers, it's people who inject drugs, is those that are voiceless many times in societies. And they are carrying so much of the burden of the disease. So we have to address what we call the key populations and to make sure that they have access to, to to services, to to rights and and to healthy lives. Uh, So that's why the universal health coverage concept must embrace human rights perspectives and to have the primary line of defense must be also to engage with communities, uh, to understand what works and what doesn't, to, to early make people stay healthy. And if one needs treatment and access to health services, that you can more easily get it and not risk falling into illnesses and sicknesses and not having right treatment and hence becoming more poor and risk your life in the end.
1: Since uh, we sit here in Washington, we spend a lot of time thinking about U.S. leadership and the U.S. contribution, uh, and try to provide uh, information and policy analysis for policymakers about uh, U.S. leadership on HIV. And one of the things that I think isn't as clear to a number of policymakers, especially the new ones, is the interplay and in the relationship between PEPFAR and the Global Fund and UNAIDS. And you mentioned a little bit earlier. Reference referenced PEPFAR, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit from you about how you see that interplay and why that's so important and, and what UNAIDS role is vis-a-vis PEPFAR and Global Fund. So,
2: I like to describe UNAIDS as a convening power, uh, working with others to deliver results. And it is so good to have PEPFAR. Uh, as a partner, because that has been a, such a sustainable resource of information, knowledge, and of course also financial resources where the American people have been so generous, but equally also really not giving in and keeping HIV on the agenda. That has been so good. And equally to make sure that the Global Fund as another financial entity are keeping track on the three diseases. HIV, AIDS, and TB and malaria. All of them, three killers in parts of the world and sometimes also with co-infections. So together with PEPFAR and the Global Fund, there is resource mobilization going on and money put to the cause. And where UNAIDS can help to make sure that we are not duplicating work, that we are really working on strategic information to make sure that we have the right data and statistics, and that we are using the same data and statistics also that the nations where we are working in, and then equally to make sure that our policy advice is correct, and that the policy advice can say that we know that stigma, discrimination, bad laws are creating an even bigger infection risks And that's why we have to do something about that, because stigma and discrimination is is driving the epidemic equally what works in treatment and to find new ways. Um, and there, again, there is a lot of other partners, innovators, universities, and not at least the communities themselves. And that's the beauty, I think, with UNAIDS. We are a UN entity, but we also have the NGO delegation with us. We are a voice for the civil society. And we, I think, are the guarantor for that the peoples that are at the center for the response and that they have to be part and parcel of this and there, I think, we we not only guarantee that, but we also drive it uh, in a very, very good partnership.
1: Looking ahead to the uh, AIDS 2020 conference that's going to be here in the United States uh, and in the Bay Area for the first time in 30 years provides a tremendous opportunity uh, to highlight the U.S. epidemic, but also where we are globally. Are there expectations from UNAIDS perspective or your personal perspective about what that conference is going to mean, again, vis-a-vis the World AIDS Day
2: 2020 milestone? How are you thinking about that conference? Private, it is a little bit looking back. You know, in the early days when we had this tremendous challenge and people were dying and we didn't know what to do, there was also the the raise of people saying, do something, and also a lot of, I think, anxiety, but also solidarity. And the music came, and the films, and the response, and it was beyond a medical. It was about, how can we do together? So there were also, in all this darkness, a lot of light, a lot of music, energy, compassion, and that is what I sense that AIDS 2020 can bring, that those early years, we have to honor those lives lost and all those that struggled and that we couldn't reach in order to inspire ourselves to continue to follow the light and the energy and the passion to know that if we do this together, we can make it. Uh, that's why it's so interesting to be hosted by United States in this period of time. So much money has been spent on a global response, but still there is so much to do also in this nation. And to give people a place to come, to talk, to discuss and debate, and to show the greatness of this society with openness evidence-based, letting people come. We hope that will be the message that are sending there that we can do this if we work together. And let's learn from the past and let's show where the light goes. We know from the AIDS response that political leadership matters on all levels. So it's also about the community leadership and political engagement everywhere. See this as an indicator about the health of a society. It could be a security issue. It could be a really foreign policy issue as well. Learn from the PEPFAR response, uh, the sustainability, the commitment, the look at results, uh, and to, to, to also be modest and to see that that wouldn't have been possible without those people engaging and lining up and others also being part of the financial solution and the gathering of results. So I think that is what CSIS also can contribute building up to the 2028 conference. That will be so needed because this is not only about a medical situation, it is about a social determinant. And again, if we are serious with leaving no one behind within the global goals and the 2030 agenda that the United Nations are driving, we really can and must make sure that HIV is not falling off the agenda. Rather being part of driving the agenda to really achieve, leaving no one behind.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been very illuminating and wish you the best of luck in uh, the remaining tenure of your acting uh, executive director position.
2: Thank you. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for
0: listening to AIDS 2020. For more discussions on global health issues, check out Take As Directed, a CSIS podcast that features deep dive interviews with leaders in the global health policy space. Listen and subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about the AIDS 2020 Conference, visit AIDS2020.org.